This morning we are concluding our Advent series based on the ancient O Antiphon prayers which form the verses to the hymn we sang earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And in the verse we sang right at the beginning of this service, we sang and prayed for people from every nation to come to Jesus Christ as their only Savior and as their true King. And we can sing that. And we can pray that with confidence because that promise is spread throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The promise that the covenant promise that redemption is not only for one man or one family or one nation, but for people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And Isaiah 60, which is the passage we're going to focus on this morning, Isaiah 60 lays this out in incredibly powerful and beautiful language. And so it's a privilege to open this passage together for a few minutes this morning. So if you will, please take your bulletin and your Bible and stand together for the reading of God's Word from Isaiah 60. I'll read just the beginning portion of Isaiah 60 and then also a passage that describes its fulfillment in the end in Revelation 21. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news and the praises of the Lord. And from Revelation 21, speaking of this new city, this new Jerusalem, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we come to this, Your Word, that that You would illumine it, that You would help us to see and understand and believe the promise of the Gospel, the promise of all redemptive history explained and portrayed here by Isaiah and John. Father, we pray that You would fix our eyes on Jesus, the One who is our light. It's in His name we pray. Amen. This morning we have 
more kids in the sanctuary probably than usual because we don't have our usual programming for preschool and elementary and middle school and high school. So kids, this morning as we start, I want to ask you a question. You belong here. You are worshipers here. So I want to ask you a question. What is the most popular sport in the world? All right. Well done. Well done. The World Cup probably helped you a little bit with that. If you think of what you usually play in the playground, if you think about what's on TV like continuously all weekend this weekend, you might be tempted to think that football is the most popular sport, but it is. You're right. Soccer. Soccer is the most popular sport around the world. The World Cup certainly emphasized that. It's far more than the Super Bowl or even the Olympics. The World Cup is the sporting event that unites the nations and unites people around the globe to watch it and cheer in it. The population of the planet in mid-November reached 8 billion people. It's estimated that between late November and the championship final match on December 18th, that more than half of the world's population watched some portion of the World Cup. It's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. But, but think about that for a moment. Consider a few things. It, yes, it's a unifying event, but think of some dynamics. Number one, only 32 nations were represented in those matches. Only 32 of more than 200 nations. Number two, the nature of the event really isn't unity. It's superiority. You want to win. You want to make it to the end and be crowned the champion. And of course, only one nation really went home happy. Argentina. Only that team, only their fans really went home truly, fully rejoicing and happy. But what if I told you that there's another event happening now involving every single nation that really will bring perfect unity and perfect permanent joy to every single participant. That'd be pretty cool. Now, what if I told you that the event has already started and you are in it? You're a participant in it. What I'm talking about is the coming of Jesus Christ, His first coming, His second coming. It is that thing which touches every single nation and every single person. And in Isaiah 60, these comings of Jesus Christ, His first and second coming, are described poetically with the imagery of light. That's the metaphor used throughout the Bible for redemption. So often you think of the light that shone down over Noah and his family casting the colors of a rainbow. You think of the light that Moses encountered in a burning bush or that led the people of Israel across the Red Sea and through the wilderness. You think of the light that uh, John said of Jesus that he was the light of men. You think of what we just read in Revelation that the new city, this new heavenly Jerusalem is illumined by the glory of God in the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And in this passage, the prophet Isaiah casts an awe-inspiring vision for how Jesus Christ is a light not only for His covenant people Israel, but for all nations. 
how Jesus is the light for all nations to be saved, to bring glory to God, and to be healed. To be saved, to bring glory to God, and to be healed. I encourage you to open your Bible. Pastor, our, our senior pastor, Mark Davis, has been encouraging us to bring our Bibles. That is a good habit to be in and renew as we enter a new year. So I encourage you to take out your Bible or use the Pew Bible in front of you. If you open to the middle of your Bible, you probably get to Psalms. If you go a little bit to the right of middle, you probably get to Isaiah. And so if you're using a blue pew Bible, turn to page 619 and you'll find Isaiah 60. We're going to look at the verses we read, but also some additional verses this morning. But in these opening verses, these first three verses or so, we see Isaiah's promise that in the light of Jesus Christ, all nations, there's a offering of all nations to be saved. Look down with me at verse 3 in particular. Isaiah writes, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. He affirms that, that redemption is coming to God's people, Israel, but also to those surrounding God's people, to the nations. And this is a huge biblical theme, that the promise of redemption grows from a person to a family, to a community, to a nation, to all nations. If you flip back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12, we read that the covenant promises made to Abraham embedded in them is a promise for the nations. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3 Moses writes, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises Abram family and a land and a blessing to the nations, to all the families of the earth. And of course, it's in Jesus that all of those promises, all of those covenant promises are fulfilled. And so Jesus comes and He says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Or as we read in Revelation chapter 21 of this new city, this heavenly Jerusalem, this picture of the new heaven and new earth, that God will usher into our reality on the last day, we read that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light, the nations will walk. John tells us that the new heavens and the new earth will be continuously and exclusively illuminated by the glory of the Lamb of God. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll notice that the most common title for Jesus in the book of Revelation is not Jesus Christ, or Son of God, or Son of Man, or Savior, or Redeemer. The most common title for Jesus in the book of Revelation is the Lamb. And it's a reminder to us that our faith and our Savior, that our faith rests on a Savior who was crucified, a Lamb of God who was slain for us, a spotless, pure Lamb of God. Our Savior is one who not only 
taught or performed miracles, but our faith is fixed on a Savior who was born and crucified and died and buried and raised again. We worship every Sunday in that grand context of redemption, of covenant promises made to Abraham and covenant promises fulfilled to Jesus and the focus of our worship being on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We're surrounded by that story every week and you might not notice it. The story's told in the windows above you, beginning from Genesis through the Old Testament, the Gospels on these rear windows all the way to Revelation. And multiple places, at least three places in this sanctuary, there is that symbol of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The resurrection lamb symbol that's been used. You see it in these two lower windows here, the lamb with the resurrection flag over his shoulder. It's a reminder to us that our faith as God's people is fixed on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His glory, His brightness, the light He brings comes through His suffering, through His death, through His resurrection. And by the truth of His Word, and by the power of His Spirit, and by the means of His church, that good news of Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen Lamb of God, is going to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. How do we know it? Yes, God promised it, but how do we know that it is actually coming true? Well, you can survey church history. You can look at piles upon piles of data of how the nations are being reached even in our own age, but perhaps most compellingly and clearly of all, think of this proof. We're here. We are the nations. We are the nations gathered here. The gospel went out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even crazy, strange places like Dallas, Texas, and to people like us, foreigners, outsiders, historically and ethnically speaking, to the promises originally made to God's people. We are evidence that these things are true, and they're continuing to come true, and we have the opportunity then from from our own lives and our own homes and families and church to extend the gospel to the nations surrounding us, both in other places and even in our own city. And so I would just echo Sam's words about the City Missions Expo next week. Come see how we are seeking to engage the nations even here in our city, even here in our church. The promise of salvation goes to all the nations. And it's important to to make a distinction that the promise is not that every single person will be saved, that it's that's universalism. We the Bible does not teach that, but rather that there are people from every civilization, from every tribe, from every nation who are being saved as they place their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It's a beautiful promise that this light, this brightness has come. It's come in Christ's first coming. It's expanding now and shining brighter through the ministry of the church 
and the Word and the Spirit, it will come in its fullness at Christ's second coming. And so we see in this passage Jesus Christ, the light, bringing salvation to all nations. But second, we also see all nations bringing glory to God. All nations bringing glory to God as they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me read, uh, look back down again at Isaiah 60. And look at verse 6. We read this just a moment ago. It says, A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. As people from all nations come, they also bring with them the the talents, the resources, the gifts that God has entrusted to them and redeemed for His glory. In the story of the birth of Jesus Christ and the, the thing we we, we talk about and point to in Epiphany is the story of that being fulfilled in the wise men coming from the east and bringing gold and frankincense. It even mentions those things right there in Isaiah 6. And the wise men and their gifts were a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. But it also says that they bring other things. These nations bring other things like camels. Later on in verse 7, flocks of rams Later in verse 9, they bring ships. It says, the ships of Tarshish shall come. And there's also other precious wealth, silver and gold. So why are the nations bringing these things, these, these resources to the Lord? Well, these are ways in which the nations are bringing tribute, laying at the feet of Jesus Christ those things which God gifted them with, entrusted them with, and with all that they are and all that they have, they are coming into the service, into the worship of Jesus Christ to praise Him. As verse 7 says and verse 13 says, specifically to beautify His worship and to beautify His house. There's geographic significance to this picture of nations coming with their wealth. The geographic significance is that that Isaiah mentions nations coming from all directions, Midian from the south, Ephah from the east, Kedar and Nebaioth from the north, Tarshish from the west. Just as the book of Revelation sent out the message of the gospel to seven churches, this promise here is a promise of people coming from all directions back to Jesus Christ and to the worship of God in the new heaven and the new earth. If you flip again to Revelation 21, where we read earlier, verse 24 speaks of the kings of the earth bringing their glory. And then in verse 26, it says that they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. The glory and honor of the nations. Kids, you probably remember that scene in the movie Aladdin when Prince Ali comes into the city, Prince Ali, worthy is he, Ali Ababwa, and he comes with all these possessions and animals and wealth in tribute to the king. That's a comical, exaggerated version of of that uh, historic practice. Its ultimate fulfillment, though, is in how people from every tribe and tongue and nation are bringing their tribute to the feet of Jesus Christ. And of course, 
The focus here in this passage is not the possessions themselves. It's not the gold. It's not the frankincense. It's not the flocks. It's the hearts and the lives of the people coming into the presence of God, being transformed to be worshipers, eternal worshipers of the Lamb in the new heaven and the new earth. As we enter a new year, think of how your heart needs that reorientation. That your worship, your passion, your desires to be fixed on Jesus Christ and with all that you have and with all that you are pouring into the worship and work of Jesus Christ the King. That will be your activity in all eternity. How wonderful to start now. It is good. It's commanded. And it's a joy. And so God's light goes out in Jesus Christ not only to save people from all nations and for all nations to bring their glory to God, but then finally we see in this passage at the end of Isaiah 60 and the very beginning of Revelation 22, the promise that in Jesus Christ there is light for all nations to be healed. For all nations to be healed. There's not only salvation and and worship and glory, but there's healing for the people who come. If you look down in Isaiah 60, beginning in verse 17, notice you see a, a repeated phrase. There's, a, there's these phrases that emphasize the great reversals of fortune, the great reversals of providence for God's people. Once having suffered, once having endured long oppression, hope and healing Comes. In verse 17, the repeated phrase is instead of. Isaiah writes, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. It's this picture of blessing and healing coming to God's people, once poor and scattered and oppressed. And then it goes on in verses 18 through 20 with the repeated phrase, no more. Three times Isaiah says, no more. He says, violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation, your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. That phrase is so powerful. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Listen to how John describes it in Revelation chapter 22 in the first few verses. This is page 1041, if you're still following along in that pew Bible. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That's the picture that so soothes and comforts us as God's people that there is a day coming with no more sin, with no more sorrow, with no more pain, with no more tears, that we will be in the presence of God, that the tree of life, once guarded by angels to prevent us from accessing it, will be opened to us as God's people for our healing. In her commentary, her her new commentary on the book of Revelation, Nancy Guthrie writes this, tying together this, this story of the tree of life from the garden to the new Jerusalem. She writes, in the beginning God planted a garden. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Because of their disobedience, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, and God placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. So God sent His Son, a second Adam, who also faced temptation regarding a tree, the tree of Calvary. But to make it possible for His people to enter into the presence of God, Jesus came under the flaming sword. On the cross, Jesus was pierced by the flaming sword of judgment. Jesus entered into death so that we might enter into this greater garden that John saw in his vision. Again and again and again, the promises of the gospel, the promise of salvation, the promise of beautiful, true worship, the promise of healing from all things sad, from all things discouraging, from all things leading to death. All of that will be healed. And only because of the suffering and death of our faithful Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Kids, some of you know this book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's a great line at the end of the book where the author writes, Look, God and His children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. That's the promise for us as God's people. And we are called and equipped in this age to not keep it to ourselves. But that in every conversation, in every responsibility that we have in this new year, in every moment where the Holy Spirit opens that door, we are faithfully to speak of and reflect the light of Jesus Christ. You may know that in this past year, NASA redoubled its efforts to return to the moon. And it said that by 2025, or in the year 2025, NASA and SpaceX will combine efforts to return American astronauts to the moon. It's fascinating stuff. But it's important as you think of the moon in these coming years, think of this. There's a beautiful quote that reminds us of our place in this age pointing people to Jesus Christ. 
One author, Michael Horton, says, the church is never the sun, but always the moon. Never creating, but only reflecting the light of the world. In other words, if we long to see the nations come, we better not point to ourselves. We better not point to our institutions and our accomplishments. We, as the people of God, are continually pointing to the Son, to Jesus Christ, and as we do so, simply reflecting Him as the light of the world. That is God's plan of redemption. That is God's plan for the nations to come, that our eyes and our mouths and our hearts and our lives will be fixed on Jesus Christ. May it be so for all of us in this new year. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the promises of Your Word. We ask that we as a church would be re-inspired and re-motivated and reinvigorated by the reality that You are calling people like us from every tribe and tongue and nation to Your Son, Jesus. May You show us in this new year ways we can pray and labor and work for Your Gospel to go forth to all people, to our neighbors in our city, and to those around the world. Father, use us in the few days You've given us. Use us to point all we meet to Jesus, to His light, to His salvation, and to the healing that alone is found in Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.